some missionaries that are in Mexico, and I invite you tonight. We have a, a blessing tonight as a missionary couple that have just come off the mission field from Portugal are going to come and share their hearts with us at 6 o'clock tonight. It's pretty, it's quite a blessing to be able to hear from people who have been in another culture sharing their heart. And I talked to them this week, and um, they told me that they they have left in order. There's been some cuts, you know, money's tight, and they decided to take early retirement. So some of the younger missionaries in Portugal would be assured to be able to stay. And they said when they got back here to the States, to home, they live in Knoxville, that when they came in that she got to see her mom the last day she was coherent before she died. When they did the funeral, she, she was able to speak. Um, so anyway, I encourage you to come be blessed as we hear from them tonight. That said, we're in First Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 13 through the end of the chapter 25, and we're going to talk about hope beyond unfair treatment. And so I encourage you when you find that to stand in God's honor starting at verse 13 of 1 Peter 2. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he's conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because God and Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pray. Master, it's good to be with your people in a place set aside to give our hearts to you. We gather because Jesus lives, and we gather because you are worthy of our attention and our praise and our worship. And God, thank you that we've been able to sing to you and give to you and pray to you. And now, Father, we just honor you and a time to look at your word. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to speak and that your word may come alive. Because we're told in your word that that's how it happens. The Holy Spirit empowers where we can learn. And Father, I pray that you do that. And thank you for each one here. And Father, may we leave hearing from you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
Well, as you look through the scripture, there are many examples of suffering that was not deserved. Of course, um, the ones that so clearly come to mind as we think about those who suffered, there's David. You know, he's a young guy, and what was his crime? There was this giant that everybody was afraid to fight. And you guys know the story. He took his rocks and his sling and whap, right between the eyes. As they say, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And it was timber with Goliath. And what did he get as a reward for being so courageous? The people started going through the streets and saying, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has tens of thousands. And there became this intense jealousy from the king. And for the next 10 to 14 years, depending on who you listen to, David was on the run. He was a fugitive. And King Saul wanted to take his life because of jealousy. And then, of course, there's Joseph favoritism in the family and he ended up being sold into slavery and he ended up being unjustly treated many times over the years until God put him in a place of authority and it's one of the most amazing sections of scripture in Genesis 50 where Joseph says to his brothers you you meant this for harm but God meant it for good Amazing, he's able to say that. And and as we look at other examples, there's Esau, he got cheated out of his birthright. And of course, there's Job that we think of. It says in the scriptures, he was blameless and he became a dartboard for Satan. And all kinds of crazy stuff happened to Job that was not deserved. It was unfair. You know, and as always I, I think about when we're offended, how we respond. What comes to my mind is always... Hebrews twelve fifteen, and uh, what a verse. I've thought of it so many times. It says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. And I just want to start there because, guys, we need to always be looking for the grace of God. He graces us. He has graced us, and he continues to grace us. And we need to see to it that we don't miss the grace of God. The verse goes on. It says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. So that no bitter root may grow up, cause trouble, and defile many. And what happens is we say, you offended me. And then I, I as I like to say, you, then you nurse it and rehearse it. Boy, I've been thinking about how you offended me. And I've thought about it day and night. And then you get mad. And then you get angry. And it grows up, takes root in your heart. And then it spreads. God says, don't do that. See to it that you don't miss the grace of God. Don't let that bit of root take a place in your heart to take root and then not only defile you, but other people. And that happens in churches a lot of times as God's people get off mission because they begin to fight one another. And the truth is, as we look at this section of Scripture, it is hard sometimes to see the grace of God when we've been unjustly treated, when someone has offended us and we don't deserve it. Tough, isn't it? Matter of fact, there are three, um, at least three common responses to being treated that way. The first is to adopt an aggressive system of attack. Like I said, to nurse it and rehearse it. 
A uh, guy went to a doctor's office. He was sick. He knew something bad was wrong. He wasn't sure what. The doctor ran tests. He said, you have rabies. Well, the guy took out a piece of paper, and he took out a pencil, and he began making a list. He said, look, this is curable. We do have medication to treat this. He said, no, you don't understand. I'm writing down a list of people I want to bite. There's that kind of mindset out there. Who knows, maybe someone here, you've been working on a list. Who you want to bite? That's one way. Another way is, is the opposite of that, and that's when we embrace a pattern of passivity or feeling sorry for ourselves. Well, I'm a victim, and I just, I'll just let it go. Poor me. Oh, you know, the Eeyore complex. Uh, one of the favorite stories from Ray Steadman used to tell, a preacher of another generation. He said during the Korean War, there were some soldiers who hired a, a young guy to take care of the household chores among the soldiers. And they loved to play pranks on this guy. And I mean, they were cruel. They would do things like put Vaseline on the handles of the stove so that when the guy tried to turn on, turn off the stove, you know, Vaseline. And they'd put small buckets of water over the door so when he'd open the door, he'd end up wet. Or they would nail his shoes to the floor so when he tried to get in his shoes, you know, he stuck. And they had a lot of fun with that until one day one of the guys just, he just felt terrible. He went to the other soldiers and he said, this is wrong, we got to quit this. So they went to the guy, it was right around Christmas, and they said, we're so sorry. We have treated you terribly. And we promise that we will no longer treat you this way. You've handled it with such class. So here's how he responded. The boy said, no more water on door? No. No more sticky on stove? No. No more nail shoes to the floor? No. Okay, then, no more spit in soup. He looked like he was being passive, but there was a passive aggressiveness. <sighs> There's an anger that happens there. Third way is when we gravitate toward the holding pattern of postponing feelings or just denying they're even there and letting them build up. But that's not how the Scripture says we are to handle unjust treatment. None of those three responses and I want us to look at the scripture this morning as, as we determine how God says to handle it. In our scripture, there's a word that comes up over and over again. And it's the word submit. Verse 13, he says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. Verse, uh, as it goes on several other verses, verse 18, slaves, submit yourselves to your masters. And then even speaking of Christ, it tells us that he willingly submitted himself to the suffering that was before him, which led him to the cross. It was the suffering for loving Jesus. It was the suffering that came because they were serious about following him. It wasn't a superficial faith where you said, yeah, I'm a Christian, but, you know, if there happened to be a trial, there would not be enough evidence to really convict you of it. It's where you genuinely live for Jesus, and it's easily seen. And the result of that 
was suffering. Not because of a crime that was committed, but because of a faith that was obvious. You know, I, I see it even in our land. It seems to me like there is a resentment that seems to be aimed at people of faith, and particularly Christians and Jews. Um, I, I've seen some suffering that comes. It really bothered me as I you know, read a bunch of news and saw some clips from this shooting that just happened in San Bernardino, California. And one reporter was talking to a widow of one of the men who was murdered by the Muslim extremist jihadi uh, jihadists that were uh, took the lives of so many. And here's what the guy said. He said, I hear that your husband had a deep faith in Jesus Christ and that he talked about Jesus everywhere he went. Is it possible that he offended this shooter and brought this upon himself? Guys, that really bothered me. Where you're trying to make the terrorists the victims. And there are cases I... I, I I heard last week in you know these podcasts that I listened to, and it talked about people in the military who, with Christian values, some of them being forced out of the military. Of course, the bakery and the florist, and we've heard um, some of these. And yet, what we face is still not what is faced among other parts of the world, where people are losing their lives and people are being thrown into prison. But does that mean we may not head that direction? We may. We may. It may be coming. I listened to a God's Work in China a, a, a podcast earlier this week that really touched my heart. And the guy talked about there that when he came to China, he came from um, Alabama. And he said not – he lived in Mongolia, and he said he hadn't been there too long. And he said in his southern Mongolian, he was speaking. He said whatever that must have sounded like to those people – but he shared with them that, hey, you just need to love Jesus and talk to him, you know, wherever you go. And he said there was this one woman there, elderly lady that he called grandmother. And she came up to him. And he said, I just really love your obvious faith and your commitment to Jesus. You're such a blessing. And she responded in perfect English, where are you from? He said, she must have heard that Alabama Chinese, you know, and so he he told her, and she told her story. She was ninety five years old. She was raised by missionaries, and when communist China began to persecute those of faith, people were leaving China to go where it was safe, and her missionary parents had supplied her a way to come to America and to live in safety. That she said, no, I can't go. God wants me to stay here. And so she said from 45 to 95, she went into Mongolia, ended up in and out of prison. She ended up sharing her faith with Jesus Christ. And she said, I have never regretted it. <laughs> Unfair treatment, but God blesses and any any works and you know it's interesting as as we look in first peter there's a people they were becoming torches in the roman Colosseums as, as nero wanted to smash out this young group of 
faith known as Christians, those who followed Jesus. And it says in First Peter, as he opens up in the first couple of verses, they were people who were scattered. <laughs> they had to leave their homes. It was dangerous. And then verse 6 of chapter 1 says they suffered all kinds of trials as, as a result of their faith and, and how they suffered. But yet God would continue um, to work. You know, it's interesting, this missionary in China, I'll just bring this up before I move on. He said they're estimating uh, there has been such a movement of God in China that now there are more Christians in China than there are in America. Just a thought. That persecution will not squash out Jesus. But he moves and touches hearts through it. Uh, the very word submit means to arrange something, uh, to appoint something in a particular order. He says the way that we are to deal with unjust treatment is not to be hateful and to fight, but to submit ourselves to God. What a thought. You see, in this day that Peter wrote these words, there was a lot of gossip going around. And the, this, these Christians were somewhat of a mystery and there was a lot of slander, that things that were being spoken of them. And he said, notice what he says in the scripture. He, he said, let your words speak in such a way to silence those who accuse you. Those who try to um, speak of you as uh, being evil. Verse 15 he says, it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. In some translations, that word silence is the word muzzle from the original language. It you know, has that picture of, of muzzling the mouth so that it can't open, so that it can't speak. And I thought of Psalm 39 verse 1 where the psalmist said, I said, I will watch my ways and I will muzzle my mouth. <laughs> As long as I am in the presence of my enemies. You know, so often when you open your mouth and put your brain in neutral, who knows what's going to come out? Probably not good. And here he said, instead of running your mouth, live for Jesus. Let your lives be your case for your faith instead of your words. Let your lives be the case. And he uses two examples here. Dropping down to verses 15 and 16, he gives five commands that talks about how those works are alive and how they are shown. And he tells us, um, verse 16, live as free men in the liberty of Jesus. He has set you free. Don't live in bondage. That's the first command in 16. But then he says, do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Don't use it as an excuse to follow God. I can just do anything I want. God will forgive me. No, that's not the, that's not the case. He says, show proper respect to everyone. Be a person that's respectful. Don't run people in the ground. Don't disrespect people. Be respectful. He says, love the brotherhood of believers. I'm sure Peter heard Jesus. Those words must have come back to him. They will know you belong to me if you love one another, right? He says, fear God. He says, honor the king. This was obviously a godless government that did not pay homage to the Father or to Jesus Christ. But he said, honor the king. 
Fear God. Don't be a troublemaker for the laws of the land. And then he speaks about slaves. He's got two examples here. And as he speaks about slaves, he says, Submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. It wasn't easy to be a slave. Matter of fact, I want to read to you from one commentator and, and words he shared about that day and slaves in that day. He said, um, By estimation, there were 60 million slaves in early Rome. <laughs> it would begin with a conquest. They would conquer a land. And then they would be put into slavery. By New Testament times, slaves served not only in menial tasks, but they were doctors, they were entertainers. Matter of fact, uh, the idea was, hey, if you're the leader of the world, you shouldn't have to do any work. That's what you got slaves for, to do all of the work. Um, He goes on, he says, it would be quite wrong to think slaves were always unhappy and treated with cruelty. Sometimes they were like family, he says, um, but they were property. They were not considered as people. Sometimes, although they were not allowed to marry, they cohabitated and children would be born, but they would be property of the master. They would not have any rights. He said there was no such thing as justice for a slave. Slaves were considered to be living tools The only difference between a slave and a barnyard animal was that a slave was able to speak. The master's will was all that mattered. It's interesting, though, as as, um, you see in the scriptures how slaves were to respond. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is, is talking. He starts out in verse 20. He says, hey, if, if you're a slave, if you, that's the situation you came to Christ in. He said, don't focus your attention totally just on your condition as a slave. He goes on verse 21. He says, were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. I mean, yeah, try to be free. Try to come out of slavery. But verse 22 says, for the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who is free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person is responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. He says, be submissive, not just when you do good, but when you do a crime, when you do evil, when you are called, and to do everything for the glory of God. And he says here in the scripture that that earns God's favor. (laughs) It says, verse 19, it's commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he's conscious of God. That word commendable could be grace, translated grace, God's favor. For it is God's favor, his grace is shown if a man bears up in that unjust suffering. Hey, what, what is it to your credit if, if you're beat, beaten for doing wrong and you endure it? But if you suffer because you do what's right, man, that's an extra portion of grace from god he looks with favor and then he says what amazing word here in verse 21 he says to this you are called and then he uses that example that of course we all look to which is jesus not just that of the slaves but the one who is god who made himself as a slave on our behalf for us as i come to the end of the chapter he shares this he says 
Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, you should follow in his steps. How did he react? Verse 22, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, what did he do? He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in the body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. It's interesting in the original language that word wounds. It really has a picture of one large wound. One big bruise. And what comes to my mind is Peter remembering Jesus as he's been scourged and as he's carrying his own cross. And he's just this one big bruise. This one big welt. This one big wound as he marches toward Golgotha and marches to that cross. And what is this all for? This suffering. What were you called for? He says, "For you, man, you were like sheep. You were going astray. You were wandering. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He says, it is for the purpose of coming back to the shepherd as he trains us, as he moves in us, as he works. I close with this illustration. A guy named Alfred Noble In his day, what he was best known for was he was the inventor of dynamite. And his brother died, and there was a mistake in the newspaper. And when the obituary was read, it was Alfred, not his brother. So he read his own obituary, and what he read about it was, um, this is a man who amassed his fortune by producing explosives, Dynamite, and he's responsible for many explosions and deaths to be able to kill a man more quickly than ever before. (laughs) And as Alfred Noble read that, he said, that's not what I want to be remembered for. And so there was formed what we call the Nobel Prizes, the the Nobel Literature, the Nobel Peace, the Nobel Economics, the Nobel Medicine, and the Nobel Science Award or Prize. Because he wanted to be remembered not for blowing up, but for building up people. And so as we come to the end of this, I guess two things to remember. What do you want to be remembered for? Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for your word. It is really hard to stand up under unjust treatment. And yet you said for this you were called. Um, Give us courage to let people know we belong to you, to the Lord Jesus. Give us strength to let our words lead to you and let our lives walk to you. Um, Father, help us because we're a weak bunch. But by your power, God, you're able to do great things in us. Maybe there's somebody here today. And you've heard of the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. But you haven't decided to lie down in that grass that is his safe place. And you've wandered around. And he's calling and saying, you know, Jesus has laid down his life for you. Come to the shepherd. Come find a new start. Come find a place that counts. 
And I just pray anyone here today that you might draw them to you, Master, that they might say, Jesus, I come honest. I'm a sinner. I'm one who's done what displeased you, and I need to be forgiven. And Jesus provides a new start. And I pray anyone that may be here in that state, the new start might happen right now, today. You might be able to say, forgive me, live in me, change me. Father, for um, the rest of us, we belong to you already, but we're not following you. If anyone fits that category, um, this is the day, this is the moment to come home, to follow the shepherd. Uh, Do that work, Lord, with an altar that's open to pray, with hearts that want to respond. Just have your way. In Christ's name, amen.